This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 27 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have a special episode with Monty Roberts and Douglas White, champion jockey. Both are working hard to make the world of horses and racing a better story with a better future. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month, and I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Debbie. How's it going? Good. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to the listeners who write us nice notes. We've gotten a couple, and we really appreciate them. And and, uh, if you want to write in even with suggestions about uh, things you want to hear Debbie, schedule and talk about. Uh, you can do that. We'd love to hear from you. Debbie, right. what's your email address mm-hmm. for everybody? Debbie at MontyRoberts.com is the best one to get me on. That's D-E-B-B-I-E at M-O-N-T-Y-R-O-B-E-R-T-S dot com. And I can be reached at Glenn with two N's at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Either way, we'll get it. And we would love to hear from you. And, of course, you can always hop onto Facebook. Mon- is it Mo- It's Monty Roberts on mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Monty Roberts on Facebook and Monty underscore Roberts on Twitter. There you go. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that right off on the show today. Thanks. It really does help to get feedback on that because we love hearing about new um, new ways to um, get some new um, interviews in and get some new topics going. And uh, we've just met some of the most interesting people. And happy Halloween, everybody. Almost, almost. <laughs> Do you, you know, I saw the cutest little um, Boston Terrier costume today where he looks like a little spider. I thought, I can't believe how many animal costumes there are now that we're torturing our pets with. I can't believe how many costumes there are. When you and I were kids out trick-or-treating, we had to yeah. make costumes. There weren't costume stores. Are you kidding? Yeah. I was, this, I, I think I was a headless horseman like three years in a row. <laughs> or you were a ghost. That's the only thing, you know, ghost, if, yeah. if you weren't creative at all, you were a ghost. But. That's right. The sheet and the uh, <laughs> yep, gunny, gunny sack string. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's about the extent of, uh, of our creativity at our house. Remember those plastic <laughs> masks you couldn't even breathe in yeah, after a while? And right. They were dripping from your breath by the end that's of the night. That's right. <laughs> I mean, there really weren't costumes back then like you would see today. Mm, Not the extent right. you see today. Oh, no, I, I mean, I literally won a trophy every year at this horse show for three years from wearing the same costume because it's a, you know, it was like the Headless Horseman where you put a, a an orange pumpkin head on your, you know, plastic one on top of your head and then a, a black cape and your poor horse got, you know, hay stuffed all over him. It was great. <laughs> Sorry. I, I posted uh, I posted a, a, a picture last week of my favorite horsey costume from last year. And what was that? It was uh, a train, and it had uh, a whole bunch of fjords. One, two, three, four, five, six. Ah. Six fjords lined up, and they had actually spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to make a train from the from the uh, from the engine all the way back to Aww. the caboose, and, and they, all the little cars in between. And it was so cute. cute. And they took this train, <laughs> this line of uh, fjords. Out to retirement homes and uh, nice. kids' school and stuff and visited and so they could all come out and see it. 
And it was, you know, it was a good, it was a nonprofit organization that did it. And it was called uh, Rainbows Incorporated. And we had him on the Stable Scoop show to talk about it. And I posted it last week and it went nuts. Oh, it did it go viral? It had 100,000 views. Oh, that's and, awesome. And had like it, almost 1,000 shares just because it was so cute. So cute. That's but great. I was surprised great. the people, yeah. that, these people have never dealt with fjords that, that posted this. There were several people that posted how mean and cruel it was. And obviously the horses oh. weren't happy about it. Oh. <laughs> they have never dealt with fjords. Fjords are the coolest horses. They really oh, yeah. are. They are. They are calm. They're collected. They didn't care. I mean, and they were doing good things. They were going out and visiting, you know, exactly. nursing homes and stuff like that with it. Uh, they weren't exactly. trying to win money. They were just doing it as a charity thing. And yeah. these fjords were fine. I mean. Yeah. No, no fjords <laughs> were harmed in this, in the making right. of this costume. <laughs> I'm sure they looked around and went, what the heck is that? But uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little different. <laughs> hey, oh, we put humans. horses on airplanes and ship them across the world. Uh, you know, no, wearing no a train costume is probably not the worst thing that ever happened. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and we throw a goat in there occasionally, too. Yeah, you know? right. Imagine that whole experience. <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> that's right. They have chickens in their field. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's actually uh, down here in Florida, there's a number of uh, places I know that are down in the Sarasota area where deer live in the fields with the horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, they here. jump in and they don't leave. They just stay. I guess yeah. the food's good. Why not? Yeah, so they just hang around and they stay. And I worry about lime, you know, uh, but but mm-hmm. these deer are living in the fields. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have that around Santa Barbara, too. You know, they know they know what they're doing. Nobody's yeah. going to go out there and shoot the horses. So yeah, they get to eat the leftovers. <laughs> they're happy. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's rutting season here, too. You know, the bucks, they're really smart about this time of year. It's October here. If you're listening. Yeah, all, the, all the females are in the paddocks. I'm just going to go in and visit them there. Uh-huh, they they yeah. don't even move around. <laughs> so, I don't have to go find them. They're just waiting there next year. Perfect. Perfect. I do I do believe we think we're at the top of the food chain, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, of course, your dad has had a much experience with the deer there at the farm. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. He, credit, he credits his horsemanship, really, to the deer, which is pretty cool because the flight mechanism is like a hundredfold right. what a horse is, you know. So, yeah, we've learned a lot. And, and they really do uh, tend to become loyal they're smart they become loyal to a place that's safe for them um so even if they don't quite understand it it happens generationally there there's circles like any flight animal travels in circles you well, know their circles be right there and that's why so many suburbs and especially you know in places like pennsylvania where, where there's a million hunters that go out the monday after mm. thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh these deer that's why there's so many of them in in the suburbs and it, uh valley forge state park has tons of deer because there's oh. no hunting yeah. So they go end up in the suburbs, and there's t- you know an overpopulation of deer in the suburbs because they know they can't be hunted there. They right. generationally, as you said, they figure that out. They figure it out. Yeah, they're not dumb. Yeah. Well, that's not what we're talking about today. Oh, is it? that's right, Horsemanship Radio. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited about today's show. Um, we, what we did was uh, a few years ago, we had a couple of guys show up for. Um, uh, a clinic that dad puts on. We call it Monty's special training because we didn't know what else to call it because we would throw these horses at him and he wouldn't know what's coming and we'd he'd get to work with them for five days in a row. You know, we've talked about Monty's special training on here before. Well, these two champion jockeys just signed up and slipped in the back door and um, didn't really even introduce themselves and they just took it all in. And their names were Felix Coetzee and Douglas White. 
and uh, they were they were really there looking to affirm their belief in the concepts that they had seen Monty advocating for years uh, to improve the treatment of thoroughbreds worldwide. And they they felt the same way, but they they needed that affirmation. Apparently, they wanted to come and see it for themselves. So they left that uh, that five days. Just uh, it was a, it was a life changing experience for them in their words. So what was cool was. Douglas came back this last summer. So that was, I think, 2008. And Douglas White came back, champion jockey. You'll hear a little bit more about him, uh, to bring his daughter and his family to experience that all over again, but to share it with them, too. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. Yeah. And and they're a very cool family. You'll just, you'll really like, um, I know you've listened to a little audio, Glenn, but you'll really like Douglas and what he says. And, uh, when he came back and uh, brought his daughter, who's just this tiny little 14-year-old, as you can imagine, he's a jockey, so you know she doesn't have a lot of height in the family, but um, he brought her back to see if she could do a join-up. So, um, of course, um, Monty Dad had to decide you know, whether he was going to put her in the round pen or not because it's not it's an auditor's course. It's not a hands-on course, um, but they, they you'll have to hear about that experience, too, and... Um, I think we should have Shakira, his daughter, back to share the experience with us sometimes too. Sometime too, but um, what I'd like to do is share this audio of an interview that Monty and Douglas did just recently. Then, right after that week, how does that sound, Glenn? Sounds good to me, and it's and I did listen to this, and I think Monty's gunning for your job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he can't have it back. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he is a good interviewer. Thank you very much for that. But uh, I'd like you all to listen in after this from IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate. He's a sugar bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. This is a real treat for me. About seven years ago, a young man by the name of Douglas White came to one of my courses and he brought a friend along with him, Felix Kutzi. And those two young men were rising stars in the area of racing. Jockeys, they were. And um, Douglas went off to Hong Kong. Uh, both are sa- South African by birth, aren't you? Correct, yes, Yeah. And uh, Douglas went off to Hong Kong, as did Felix. But Felix bounced back and forth and did a lot of his riding in South Africa, didn't he? Yes. But um, 
Douglas went on to just own Hong Kong racing from a jockey standpoint. And I have him here with me. Um, and we're, we're having fun together. And uh, Douglas has brought his daughter along, Shakura. And I'm so proud to have him here with me. And um, Douglas, why are you here? Why did you decide to come? I'm here this time because um, I, I walked away the first time a different person. Not only with horses, but with myself. Um, and the industry that I work in in Hong Kong, as you yourself can imagine, you've been there. Hong Kong's all about pressure. And you have to deal with different sorts of pressure. Not only racing, but from every angle and in every perspective. I walked away a better person. Um, I won five or six more premierships as a champion jockey. But what it taught me, it didn't improve me and make me go faster on a horse. It taught me to work with my horses, appreciate my horses, learn more about the horses. And I used to come home, I still do, from a day's racing. And even the bad ones, if I can get some small improvement out of them, it might not be in the actual race itself because they're too highly strung. It might be behind the gates, it might be on the way down to the start. I've made my day. Um, so I had to be back, more so for my daughter's sake, because she's 14 and, and she rides and she's very small for 14. So there's a huge safety issue there. Yeah. And her confidence level is not very high. She's come off a few times and I know more than anyone that hurts when you come off. Yeah. And if I can bring her here to learn how to school and understand and appreciate horses, I've done my job with her around horses. So that was the main reason for this trip coming back. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And can you, can you imagine how gratifying it is for me to have a father um, with his beautiful daughter um, asking me to mold her horsemanship? Uh, there's just no better compliment, I think, in the horse industry than that, particularly coming from a young man who doesn't sell himself hard as a champion jockey, um, I'm going to ask him straight, how many championships have you won? All right, I'll, 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 I'll go back a little bit like you like to school them. I went to Hong Kong on a three-month contract, and I was very successful, and pretty much I haven't left. So I finished second my first year and my second year, and I've won f after that 13 years in a row. I've been champion jockey in, in Hong Kong. <laughs> so it's, it's been very successful for me, but as you yourself know, as a horseman and a professional, you always have to raise the bar. Yeah. It's just what happens sure. in any sport. Sure, it's not good enough, but I have to tell you that 13 championships in a row and Hong Kong is a major racing mecca now. 
it's not just some backwards place. Nah. Uh, Hong Kong is big racing. And to win 13 championships in a row, uh, there, there is no other major racing area where any jockey, I think, has won 13 in a row. I don't think Leicester ever won 13 championships in a row. Not as far as flat racing goes, no. I know uh, Tony McCoy, who's a jump jockey, he's won 17, but not in a row. But as far as consecutively, I hold the record. You hold the record and well established, well out in front. Um, and I, I would ask you, if coming here, um, the relationship you have with your daughter, um, is it all about horses? Not at all. Um, the horse side of it, I brought her here for you to teach her. Um, because you get a 12, 13, 14 year old young girl and dad doesn't know everything you can try and tell him but when they see it hands-on from somebody as yourself they digest that and absorb it so much quicker and better and I don't want to be going around and saying at 2 o'clock or 12 o'clock do this and do this and 6 o'clock in the round pen yeah she's not gonna digest that the same way she is watching you yeah and you pull her in there, yeah. that's called pressure on. I have to tell you, um, Douglas, it was such a thrill to watch her do a join up in the round pen. And I chose her because we have a large group here of about 30 people that have come from all over the world. And I wanted to show them one first time join up for the person, first time join up. And through the night before I was thinking about this and I thought, could I do it with this tiny little 14-year-old girl that's never done a join-up before? And I made a decision that I would. And it was a great decision, wasn't it? Great or not, all I can say is she walked away. I could see the difference. She walked away with a smile on her face and she's never had to control a horse that size. She has 14, 2, 15-hand pony not that big yeah and it was a big stepping stone in her life and I think she will remember it for the, the rest of her life yeah and you took a video of her with your phone or something I did you? take it and uh, she's watched it numerous amounts of times and um, oh, I had tears in my eyes uh, it was yeah. very emotional and moving for me I think we could take your pulse rate by listening to the sound on that phone eh? well you know to answer one of your previous earlier questions uh, why I came was you know you've always said pressure down and uh, adrenaline down and learning up yeah well you got when some I, adrenaline up there <laughs> my you? daughter was in that round fin <laughs> I must have hit what I do when I'm riding and it's close to 180 I, I had to control myself yeah yeah but it turned out well and I'm, I'm pleased that I did it and I, I'd love to have her come back and be a part of a, of a course that we're on. Um, but I'm, I'm so interested in your life and your, you, you, you're so accomplished in racing. And oftentimes they say, my concepts are just for those 50-year-old ladies that love their horse and it's sort of namby-pamby. Well, there's nothing namby-pamby about you. And uh, you're a professional of the highest magnitude. Uh, tell me what it means to use my concepts in your world. 
Well, I came here very open-minded the first time with Felix, and I think one of the one of the main reasons that drew me to come and see you was I had a really tough time when I first went to Hong Kong because I was called weak. I would was called I can't use the whip. Um, there's a whole list, as you have a, a bucket list of many things that people have said about your concepts and your ways, but I had a belief and I had to believe in it and I had to follow through with it. And I got suspended for not using the whip vigorously enough and I got abused and I got taken off horses and trainers and owners moaning. But I think and I like to believe that there's a lot of jockeys in Hong Kong now, particularly Australian jockeys, that use the whip a lot less, yeah. probably 50% less. Yeah. They use it when they have to use it yeah. and because they have to use it. But they get them going with their hands now yeah. and they would use the whip closer to the winning post than where they used to. Yeah. And if they only if they have to. I've seen a lot of Australian jockeys now ride hands and heels, which yeah. is unheard of you when I first you, went to Hong yeah, Kong. You didn't see it before. So that was one of the main reasons that drew me to come to your first course, my first course, I should say, with you, because I had to fulfill myself that I can follow through with this and that I'm on the right wicket here, but I have to go and believe it for myself. Yeah. And I left here learning more than just about the whip. I learned, left here learning to love a horse more. And I've, I've been on a horse since the age of two and I've always loved them, but I haven't loved them from here, yeah. which is your biggest learning curve to me. Yeah. You've got to love them from here and uh, you've got to you. breathe from here and you've got to think from here. Do you, do you think of yourself as a horse trainer at all, even as a jockey? Are you training at all? I, everybody asks me that and they ask me in Hong Kong, I know I've got five to six more very competitive years in me because I don't want to be riding around running 10th, 11th. If I'm not in the top two or three, I'm out of there. Yeah. I would love to be a horse trainer, but my dream and my inner gut tells me I'm going to be on a ranch, a farm, with my horses, riding every day, schooling them, teaching them, probably taking a lot more rehab horses than I ought to, and trying to help them out. That would be my ultimate goal, I think. Um, I would love to train horses, but if I don't train in Hong Kong, where I can focus on my training, as far as horse training goes, and I don't have to worry about the monetary side of things and chasing owners for bills and worrying about my staff because the Jockey Club, Hong Kong Jockey Club, really takes care of all yeah, of that. Yeah. So you can focus on your job. Yeah. So if I wasn't able to train in Hong Kong, I think that I would work with horses somewhere in the world. I yeah, don't know where. I would, but I would I love to think that I influence some of that thought. Well, you, not, you don't have to think about that. That's probably been a brand since I left the Monty Roberts Flags Up Farm when I came six or seven years ago. Uh -huh. it, 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 was, it was branded in me and um, it was a tattoo. 
so to speak and I've, I've, I'm disappointed that it's taken me that long to come back but <laughs> I've had a lot of engagements in going to Japan and England and so forth and so on so um, if I could have come back every year I would have yeah and, and I assume that your relationship with your daughter sort of has you hoping that she stays with horses and and build down that relationship and and stay with this business of loving horses all the way through her future. It would be a dream of mine. Yeah. Um, I believe that horses keep you out of trouble. She's not a troublemaker, but it's very easy to get caught up in the wrong circle of friends. And these days, you just don't know yeah. what happens, you know. Yeah. And as long as you've got a horse as your best friend, I can put at least five to six more good years in her where yeah. her mind and her body will... Yeah. broaden and she'll have a best friend that she can rely on well I believe she has a heck of a start on it uh, she's interested she's talented she's quick to learn you don't need any more it's it's I think that's gonna happen easily enough hi I'm Monty Roberts and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain you can learn to do it too on my Equus online university Western English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. Well, that was the first part of the interview. We're going to get to the second part of the interview in just a minute, but Debbie and I wanted to talk a little bit about it. I thought it was very interesting what uh, he said, what Douglas said about going back to Hong Kong and going back into racing and really, you know, getting a lot of crap. And, and, and mm-hmm. anybody that knows the, the truth about what it's like uh, behind the scenes in racing knows that it's a tough world. It is. Uh, you know, they're hard on each other. They're, it, you know, the... <laughs> The uh, barns are an interesting place at a racetrack. Um, high stress, high pressure. There's just a lot of tension going on. There's a lot of high stakes. There's a lot of money. A lot of type problems. A personalities. Very uh, much so. Oh. And, you know, owners uh, pay a lot of money to put their horses from get to go. And, you know, they expect results. They don't often know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe they don't want to know, you know, that we'll leave that all to the politics of racing. But the the thing that translates to the jockeys is get it done. And uh, so with, with you, you heard Doug say that when he went to Hong Kong, it was a high pressure cooker uh, environment. And when you, you know that when you're tense around horses or you're demanding a lot of that horse, you don't always get a breakthrough performance from that horse that can often pull away from a horse's performance because they're looking to you for that bond, that trust, uh, that's what that leadership in horsemanship is all about. And so if you put a lot of pressure in your horse or a lot of even adrenaline in your body, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't always make for the best performance. So here's poor Douglas. You're hearing it in his voice. Um, there are laws that say that you must whip to some degree or another, depending on what country you're in. But when he mentioned he was suspended for not using the whip, he had been taken off horses by trainers and or owners, and that he was getting complaints, he was saying that because as a jockey, it's required that you look like you're trying. Otherwise, it looks like you're 
not trying, right, right. Glenn? I it mean, looks it looks like, like you're, you're throwing th the race. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's that pressure side, and then you're trying to listen to your horse. And I love what he said about um, Olympic runners, and you know, we're going to get into some of that. But it's amazing if we think about how we um, use our heads with horses versus thinking about how it would feel if we did it to ourselves. And I love some of that stuff that he said, too. But the encouraging part was that he was seeing now, now that he's in his 13th championship career and can, and can influence, he's seeing that maybe 50% less whip use and that he mentioned Australia by name, that there was a lot less of that going on um, if they could help it at all, uh, you know, making those minimums instead of, you know, abusing the, the opportunities to win. Yeah, it's funny. Once you become a winner, how all that changes, doesn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. then, then all of a sudden the people are looking to you to what you're doing that's a little bit different. But that's what it takes. I mean, that's what it takes, uh, you know, in the helmet movement here, you know, around mm -hmm. the world, especially here in the United States, that's the same thing. It's, it's, when, it's when the winners are wearing one that people start to notice. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. it. Or the cool kids or whatever right. it is. But whatever it takes, Glenn, it's, you know, whatever well, goes. Monty made what he does and the type of training he does cool. But it certainly wasn't that way 25 years ago, you no, know? No, Yeah. No. Nope. And it, it isn't it, that way in some parts of the world today. And that's still why. Still not. Right. Hello, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but right. he's making inroads in there. I mean, he that, is. And yeah. you know what? What's cool about that? And I think I hear that in, in Douglas's voice in this interview, too, is that it makes working with horses more fun. Mm -hmm. He said at the, you know, toward the end of that that uh, the segment we've listened to is that his inner gut tells him that he is going to take in more rehabs and, and, you know, he has more compassion for the horses, which maybe that's not how a lot of people start off in the performance and competition world. But if you really love your horses and you find that breakthrough performance because of that trust and that bond, uh, they end up in a, in a, you know, in a career that they love because they love their horses and the horses love them. Well, let's listen to part two of yeah. this uh, yeah. coming up. Now, you know, I want to get into this thing. I, um, I asked you to ride with me yesterday, and it was fun. Uh, I had a reason for asking you to ride with me because you're a rider, and I've ridden all my life road races when I was smaller. I'm not a small person, but I did ride races all through the war, Second World War, uh, when I was very young, I, I rode probably at 50 pounds, uh, wow. uh, 25 kilos or something like that, you know, uh, at 9 and 10 and 11 years of age because the jockeys were all off fighting the, to save our country, okay. you know. And um, so I wanted you to ride and I wanted to put you on a really good Western horse that was um, responsive and uh, a class act, a world-class kind of western horse which i i have and i ride tell us about that experience well i'll tell you to start off with i started my my palms started to sweat <laughs> prior to you you putting me on just when you said well i'm gonna give you a go soon i started to sweat because i'd watched you on him and it's poetry in motion it's as simple as that it doesn't get any better uh, it's been a dream of mine, and I will fulfill that dream, to work and live on a farm, ranch, and do some cutting and, and, and some playing around, and uh, I will perfect that side of 
I wouldn't call it a profession, but that side of my, my riding yeah. or horsemanship. Um, but yesterday, when I got on, and I'm used to my irons coming up real short and getting up behind a horse, and, and, and I'm in control of that horse, and I have to direct him and steer him and make decisions for him. Yeah. Well, yesterday was just a 360 turnaround. I was, had him, I had to have him here, which you've taught him, and it was all about my legs and too much pressure, and he would overdo something through my fault. He was, I was the passenger, and he was the, the mentor, the master, whatever you want to call it, and um, I just was too green for him. I was too inexperienced, uh, too green. You weren't too green for him at all. No, and he just picked everything up and taught me, and I just had to hold on and just forget about the mouth and the contact, which I'm not used to. Yeah. And I got off, well, when I did get off, after he had spun around and, whoa, and he stopped, and I'm just not used to that. You tell a racehorse to whoa, <laughs> there's no whoaing. It's all about yeah. pulling and, and he just stopped. And I, my body was still going around. <laughs> I, it was like a child when you put your hands out and spin, you know, yeah. you walk away and you just keep spinning. Yeah. But I reverted back to what you've taught and what I've learned and I centered myself with gravity with him got yeah. directly up behind his ears and down his mane and and I didn't feel like a passenger anymore because he was working too hard and I all I had to do was hold myself and let him do it yeah and suddenly it just started to flow yeah. and I could feel an ounce of what you were doing what I was seeing when you were on him I could feel that yeah and it was it's unexplainable. Yeah. It's, it's what I feel in the last two furlongs of a race when they sink down two inches and they just stretch for you and uh, that adrenaline rush. It, I was on top and he was just spinning around and whoa, and I stopped and I was there with him. I, I wasn't sort of falling yeah. onto the side anymore. I was there with him. and it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a feeling and a memory I'll take away with me again this yeah. time and it's going to bring me back. It's called that sweet spot when you're playing golf or yeah. winning a group one race. Yeah, yeah. So it keeps bringing you back to whatever in the uh, professional game that you're in. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say that, that it's amazing because I saw that. we You rode for 20 or 30 minutes there on, on Chrome, my horse. And there were two segments. And the first circles and lead changes and stops and turns that you made were kind of an exploratory operation. And you got off over here and you got off over there a little bit and then we stopped and he took a breath and we talked about getting centered and so forth. And I watched a transformation and you just said it yourself. The second time through, it was as though you'd ridden for 10 years on a Western horse. It was a different feeling, wasn't it? First time it was discoordinated. There was no, wasn't much of a feeling because my breathing was up. I wasn't relaxed. Yeah. I was asking him too hard he's not used to that he's yeah. sensitive well you wanted him to do it and i'm used to steering yeah there's no steering your legs are your <laughs> your steering wheel yeah well I, you tell a racehorse go this way with this leg he's gonna laugh at you yeah just doesn't happen yeah but once i got it and once you feel that what a horse can do for you and the appreciation I walked away with that night, oh, I got in the car when my wife arrived and I was like, wow, 
it's it's like winning a group one it's like winning the derby yeah you know i've won i've won three derbies in hong kong and it, it, it's that same feeling uh, is isn't it amazing that i'm sitting here with a um, multiple champion um, over and over again who had fun on my horse a west in a western saddle but i thought he would and i and i got it right and i think you said to me that the exhilaration was similar to winning a big race or whatever and we were just riding for ourselves out there but uh, it, it it i would compare it to identical not similar and this was just pure fun in one of your paddocks with my daughter watching me it there was no pressure there was no 78 90,000 people watching like in hong kong there was no monetary side of things betting it was me and the horse and you telling me do this and do that and me having to follow through and listen to you because if I wasn't going to listen to you, I wasn't going to get it right. Yeah. Because he's too advanced for me. Yeah. Um, but it kind of synchronized in the end and it was like when things go right in a race and you win a big race, it's, it's, it synchronizes and it was an amazing feeling. Yeah. And you never, you never felt any urge to whip him. Hell no. <laughs> he would have run away with me. I would have had no control then. No, geez, yeah. if I'd whipped him, I reckon he would have got me off his back. That yeah. is for sure. You know, here in the United States, Douglas, we had a, a rider for so many years, Shoemaker, William Shoemaker. And uh, he was a soft rider. You know, he, he, he would put a stick on a horse when a horse needed to get his attention. But he, he wasn't a guy to beat him up. And I, I think... Since my first book came out, I think you've seen a direct drop-off of the use of the whip, as I profess that horses run often slower when they're whipped than, they, than that number of times they run faster when they're whipped, because it takes the attention away from them often, and we, we maybe do too much of it. I'll never forget some of the wisest words you ever mentioned to me when I came here six or seven years ago. If you put an athlete, a runner, and you make him run from point A to point B, and there's a reward at point B. But in between A and B, you pull out a whip and you hit him. How is he physically going to go faster? Yeah. He's trained his heart out. He's got an, a goal to get to point B to beat everybody else. Yeah. How is he going to go faster? All you're going to do is he's going to go, uh -huh. what did he do that for? And suddenly his competitors are passing him. And I can only relate that to racing. Because yeah. if I turn for home and I've kept my horse totally balanced and breathing mm. and trouble yeah. free, when I go, he's going to go. Yeah. I have to be careful he doesn't go too fast. That's my job, yeah. to make him not go too fast too soon. Because then I'm going to be having to call for the whip because he's going to be tiring yeah. and the public are going to think he needs the whip but that was my fault yeah. I made a mistake by asking him to go too soon because I'd reserved so much energy yeah. for the finish yeah. so when he goes for me and he goes again which is very un un unlikely in a racehorse they don't pick up and pick up again they normally pick up and they maintain mm. a run and he picks up again how in my heart or my job can I then go and beat him when he's given me yeah. two unbelievable pickups and efforts? Yeah. He can't go faster. 
Yeah. I'm going to, number one, break his heart. And secondly, I'm going to inter- interfere with his, his, his action, yeah. his breathing. It's going to go pear-shaped. Yeah. If it, I get a lazy horse, which you know you get some hard-headed horses, yeah. and they do respond to a whip, for sure, I'll give him one or two and see if that improves him and maybe change it the mm. other hand, give him one or two. But if I don't see any improvement, am I going to bash him to the line? <laughs> yeah. I can't see that um, any human being running runs better if they're not relaxed. I can't see them running better when they're tense and nervous and uptight about it. All the coaches tell them, relax, be cool, you know, warm yourself up, but be intense and look forward to the finish, but stay relaxed through the performance. And then we, we say to horses, yeah, yes, yeah, go, go, go. You know, and I, I just don't think it's the answer. And uh, the good jockeys are, are finding that, and you are one of those good jockeys. And I'm, I'm so proud to have you here and your family here, and I look forward to having you back. Um, and maybe that I come to Hong Kong and see you there, and we do some meetings with the people there, starting gate things and stuff like that, starting stalls. That would be a dream. It's, it's, it's yeah. been a, a lifelong experience with you. Um, I can say you are a mentor to me. You, whenever I've got a problem with, let it be personally or professionally, I'll pick up your book and I'll read well, through it. You just so grab that phone and find me. If you get You've to Hong Kong, away from home, <laughs> thank right you here. very much. Well, Glenn, what do you think? That was really exciting to hear about, you know, such a brilliant rider learning from a different kind of horse, a professional. I mean, Monty's nice chrome is a world-class rain cow horse. And it's really cool to hear a guy appreciate that so much and call himself green. Does that crack you? Yeah. And, you know, I I (laughs) thought it was interesting how he said he was nervous. Here's a guy that's ridden crazy racehorses in his entire career, probably (laughs) been ditched more times than any of us would ever care to think about. And here he is, gets on this well, well, super trained Western horse, and he's nervous. Yeah, nervous. His palms were sweaty. I love that. I think he just didn't want to break Monty's horse was part of it. (laughs) Might be. (laughs) Yeah, because of their faces. They were just grinning from ear to ear. I can can tell you that they had a ball doing it. But that just goes to show you, too, though, any rider, when they get on a, you know, super well-trained horse, whether you're a, a venter or a dressage rider or you're just a casual rider and you get on a Grand Prix dressage horse, Y'all know when, you know, we all know, or when I drive a horse that's, uh, you know, a CDE horse, I know when I'm outclassed and when I'm, uh, you know, the horse, you know, I got nothing here. <laughs> you do know that as a rider, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's true. Yeah. Absolutely true. And, and you know, it's like getting on maybe a Tennessee walker, a gated horse or something for the first time. And if you've never been on them, you, you, you almost giggle out loud because you think, He's doing it. I'm not doing anything here, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to help with this equation. I'm just going to sit here. (laughs) Exactly. Just try not to do anything wrong and not get dumped. Uh, You know, and and if he had, like he said, uh, Dad said something about, you know, you didn't feel the urge to whip him at all, did you? And he just, they both laugh. Like, why would you need to impulse a horse that is completely at ease and excited about the job that he's doing out there? You know, there isn't any... um, 
hardly any partnership in this in this arrangement, but there isn't certainly any need to overpower or you know to to um, beat up each other over getting that out. Do you love the part where he said it was like winning a derby, which is yes, a derby, derby yes, in yes, English, but it's derby, yes, <laughs> derby. I mean, comparing that where he said the horses, you know, kind of stretch out for you and really flatten out that. I just felt like I was at the end of a race, winning the whole thing. You know, it was really cool. Yeah, he's a good guy, and and you know. I think that when you when we set out to do Horsemanship Radio, this is one of the things we set out to do, was to share with our listeners the voice and the emotion and the sound of those people really performing at a high level, but able to um, be completely kind, gentle, and wonderful with their horses so that people have a roadmap to go in a direction that I think is, is really um, positive for the horse industry. You know, it's interesting what he said about getting, you know, basically getting out of the way of the horse. He said, yeah. you know, I basically learned that I just, I need to stop directing here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we heard that. We, a couple things came to mind. We talked to the people who run the concession of the, uh, the donkeys or mules that go down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah. On that little tiny narrow trail. And we said, you know, uh, do you have to be a rider? He said, we prefer non-riders because non-riders just sit there and let the donkey do the work. <laughs> uh, the riders want to be fixing things, and they're the ones that get into trouble because the donkey's going to take you down without her. You know, he's he's in, in the self-preservation. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the riders who want to, you know, constantly be fixing things. And, and we talked to a girl recently on the Stable Scoop show who went to Iceland. And rode the Icelandic ponies eight hours a day all over the country for two weeks. And she said, I, you know, I'm a Grand Prix rider. You know, I've done, you know, jumps that are six feet. And I learned very quickly at coming down the sides of those mountains on lava flows that uh, I needed to just let the horse do its job. And I needed to sit there and just concentrate on, you know, not getting in his way. That's right. Uh, um, but th- and that's basically what that's basically what Douglas said. You know what I mean? That's right. And keeping just your if you could just help the horse by keeping your center of gravity in the middle of his back. Exactly. You know, exactly. If you could just sit there and not get in the way, that's that'd right. be appreciated. That's right. That's so, right. And and let his head go. Try too, not to know. fall off. All right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I just saw the studies where um, people say, "Oh, bits are bad because there's so many pounds per square inch, you know, on, torqued on the mouth and everything." I'm thinking, who's doing that? You know, really, the best horsemen, I think, just let them have their heads. And uh, uh, Dad did a thing with the two-pound test fishing line where, you know, where the rain meets the, the bottom of the bit. And um, and people said, oh, you can't do Western raining with, you know. Yes, you can. <laughs> if, if you've got that horse trained up incrementally, you really can just let those reins go because most of it, like Douglas said, is steering with your legs and the horse understanding what you're asking because you've asked it enough times together, you know. And um, I just love that communication system. And, and I love people who train horses well enough that they know their jobs and they're happy doing it. Just like your mules that go down the side of a, a glass volcano. I mean, that, that volcanic stuff on Iceland is just like glass too. So I know exactly what you mean. Well, I think Stacy Westfall really proved uh, what you're mm-hmm. talking about there about, you know, doing it all with the legs when she did that amazing freestyle with no bridle, no saddle, no nothing. That's been seen by every horseman on earth. Oh, on earth, yeah. It's only been seen about 20 million times on YouTube. And we cry every time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because she just proved what you just said, you know, yeah. that it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and the, the 
I, I'm not advocating everybody take their bridle off here. Yeah. Yeah. Or their saddle, you know. <laughs> or their saddle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's but only do that if you uh, really are There's confident. a lot of yeah. hours yeah. between you know, <laughs> zero and ten there. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal is that if you can just uh, be at one with your horse, that's, that's what you're looking for. This week's trainer's tip is from the phenomenal competitor, Nancy Sue Ryan, and this one's for owners of stallions. Welcome back, Nancy Sue Ryan. We were excited to have you back because of your wealth of knowledge, and I wanted to ask you a real important question for our trainer's tip, that um, being, you're so experienced, what makes a great breeding program in your, in your mind? Oh, a great breeding program. I believe that your mare power is about 60% of your resulting foal. I think as a stallion owner, it's very important to own the mares that will help your stallion produce those very good babies. Every stallion has great babies, and they all have some babies that aren't so great. So you have to study your mare power and see what your mare's positive and the stallion's positive and try to go for the positive full. Um, I found by trial and error of breeding mares that weren't great mares and the resulting foals end up being blamed on my stallion instead of blamed on actually the mare because most people don't know your mares. And so when you have a stallion and it produces babies, mm-hmm that aren't great, the stallion's always blamed for it because yeah. people don't really know what the mares are. So I, my biggest tip to breeders, especially your stallion owner, is on you can't control what people breed to your horse, but you can control what mares you breed to your horse. And make sure that it's quality mares that are equal value to your stallion that's going to make your stallion a better producer because the mare... Is I again? I'm going to say is 60 percent of your baby or the fall that's born. What in the wide, wide world of sports is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in. In October through November 1, Monty's on tour from the south of England all the way down, or all the way up to Glen Eagles, Scotland. And then he goes to Germany on tour. He is, uh, he has dates on November 8th and 15th. And December 1 through 5, he's holding again another Monty special training. It's a bit like we talked about in this episode, but this one happens to be both in English and Portuguese because we have a lot of Brazilian uh, friends coming in for these, and we've got more demand for them too. So that'll be a lot of fun, December 1 through 5. And then December 12 through 14, we've got a horse and healing for stress injuries in our service personnel and first responders. And next episode, stay tuned because we've got a really special announcement about some dates in December. And it has something to do with horse sense and healing, and it has something to do with a special appearance coming to visit with us. And on March 14th, people say, Monty's never in U.S. anymore. But he is. He's in Arizona. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun on March 14th, 2015. And you can see more of Monty's schedule at MontyRoberts.com. And uh, you can also give us a call at 805-688-6288 to find out more. 805-688-6288.
Well, tomorrow is Halloween. Is there any trick-or-treating that happens out at the farm? Well, there's a lot of tricks, but (laughs) (laughs) no, actually a lot of it. We're so, um, we're, I know we're only a mile from everything, but my parents used to just say, get in the car, get your, you know, costume on and we're going to a neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're we're about a mile from everywhere, but, uh, we do get some kids there. There is some housing on the uh, farm and we do have, uh, gosh, families that have lived there for generations, literally now. And so, yeah, we do a little bit. How about you guys out in Florida? They trick or treat much out there? No, not in our neighborhood. You know, we live in one of those uh, equestrian neighborhoods where the farms are all perimeter fenced. Yeah. So every farm has a gate, you know, with codes. So, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes it tough on those kids. Yeah. Get yeah. your pillowcase and go to a neighborhood. That's all right. <laughs> that's about what you have to do because it's not, you know, out here, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that that's sad in a way. Uh, well, it makes it harder to meet your neighbors that way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah it, it does. And it makes it very hard for the UPS guy. Oh, yeah. Poor so, guy. <laughs> so. He's brown and down. I know. But it's great. You know, we had uh, one of our horses, Jennifer's horse, got loose the other day. And, you know, it's ah. very nice to know, though, with the perimeter fences mm-hmm. like they do around all these farms, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it. That's, you know, right. It's, That's it's, right. You know, if your horses get out, they're not, they, yeah, they're going to eat grass in the yard, but they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. And That's this is the first home that we've had that's been perimeter fenced. Uh, we've had some big farms before that it would have been, you know, $50,000 to perimeter fence it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here it's been the first place that we've had that it, that's happened. And it's, it is very nice. And I know not everybody has that luxury, but. No, you know, insurance is requiring it more and more actually to, to keep horses safe, um, which is an expense that you don't always anticipate, but uh, it's not a bad thing. Ultimately, I, I guess it does help us keep our horses safe. Yes, definitely. Well, for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Uh, you can send emails, as we said, to Debbie at MontyRoberts.com and Glenn at Glenn with two N's at HorseRadioNetwork.com. You can also follow us on Facebook under Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts and Twitter at Twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors. We wouldn't be possible without you. So be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, you know it. Have many happy horse hours. <laughs>